Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, where the words that God inspired Paul to put before us promise to be, promise to be some of the most important words in the New Testament for how you as a Christian live out your faith. During the days of the Depression, this man, Mr. Ira Yates, he had a significant problem. Maybe it's a problem you can relate to. You see, he had a sheep ranch in Texas at the time, but times, of course, were tough. This was the Depression, of course, and he wasn't able to make enough money from his ranching operation to pay for his mortgage and to pay for his interest on his mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. To make it worse, he had a family. They had a little bit of money, but not a lot for clothes and food. And like so many during that time, he was forced to live on a government handout. Well, day after day, as he grazed his sheep on those rolling Texas hills, he was greatly troubled. His thoughts could not escape him about how he was actually going to be able to pay his bills. But then one day... Out of nowhere, a crew showed up, and it was an oil company. And they told him that there might be, there just might be oil on his land. So they asked permission to drill a well. And they signed a contract. And at just over 1,100 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. And the first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many of the wells that came in after were twice as large it has since pumped out over one billion barrels of oil. It's still pumping to this day. And Mr. Yates owned it all the day he purchased the land because he had received all the oil and all the mineral rights. But he had been living there the entire time, a poor man, a very poor man, living on a government handout, a multimillionaire living in poverty. Well, what was the problem? The problem was that he didn't know that the oil was there, even though he owned it. The same problem exists in the church today at large. Christians living in complete spiritual poverty. Even though they have the Holy Spirit living in them, God has given them the power to live for Him, but they are not aware of their birthright in Jesus Christ. It is one of the hardest things to witness as a pastor. Redeemed believers in Jesus Christ living like they are spiritually poor, defeated day after day, broken instead of the life that God has called us to live. But don't misunderstand this message this morning. This is not about pulling up your bootstraps and trying harder. This is about living according to the riches that we already have in Jesus Christ and by the power of God, by the power of the Spirit within us. Tapping into what we already own in Christ. Tapping into the deep well of God within us. Tapping into God in us. 
Author and pastor A.W. Tozer once said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would come to a stop and everyone would know the difference. And I think the reason is because we have forgotten how to live for Jesus Christ by the power of God in us. You see, if you have stubborn sin in your life, we all do, don't we? If you have stubborn sin in your life, if you have been living defeated, never able to overcome the battle raging within your own heart, I pray you will consider strongly the words before us this morning. Now, we broke into verse 16 last week of Galatians 5, but I want to cover it again because it's just that important. Bibles open to Galatians 5. We start again with verse 16 where Paul says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This is one of the greatest promises in the New Testament. This is one of the greatest promises in the New Testament for the believer in Christ. One of the most important texts that you can actually study, comprehend, and apply to your life on growing in your faith. You see, if you want to defeat the flesh, if you want to defeat your sin nature, moment by moment, day by day, then depend on the Spirit of God within. Live by the Spirit. Because the question is, how, Christian, do you win your battle against sin? How do you do it? Walk in the Spirit. Paul is saying, keep on walking, Christian. Keep on walking. Step by step, by faith in God. Moment by moment, by faith. Depend on the Spirit of God. Because if you do, you will what? He says, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Meaning, you don't have to give in to that temptation to sin. Praise God. You don't. The Spirit of God and the sin nature of man, they're completely incompatible. You cannot be living for both at the same time. So how do you overcome sin? Moment by moment, depending on the Spirit of God living in us. Walking takes time. It is to learn to trust God each step of the way. Then what do we find in verse 17? We find that there's an internal conflict going on within every believer. There's a battle raging. Our old sin nature and the Holy Spirit of God are at war in our hearts. So Paul is saying, don't have confidence in yourself. Have confidence in Jesus Christ. Have confidence in the Spirit of God working in you. Our sin nature is always opposed to the purpose of God, but the spirit within the redeemed child of God is prompting us to walk in the will of God. And here is the good news. The spirit of God is stronger than our sin nature. It's like holding up a hymnal in church. As long as your hand is underneath a book, gravity cannot make the book fall. Gravity's still there, isn't it? Just like your sin nature is still there. But the muscles in your arm, the strength in your arm is stronger than the gravity. The Holy Spirit is stronger than your sin nature. The sin nature wants to pull you down. It's always there, just like gravity. But as long as we depend on the Spirit of God to hold us up, our sin nature, it cannot pull us down. 
But what happens? We try to live on our own. We try to live independent of the power of the Holy Spirit. If we pull our hand from out underneath that hymnal, if we pull it out, what's going to happen? That hymnal's going to come down, crashing down to the ground. It's going to fall. If we ignore the Spirit of God and try to live without His power, we will sin. This is why every believer in Christ is just as capable as the same sin as that of a lost person. And this is why every effort to live for God apart from Christ will fail 100% guaranteed. You cannot clean up your life on your own. It's impossible. You'll fail. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, when you try, you do not do the things that you wish. You don't. If you hold the hymnal, what does it take? It takes faith. It takes trust. Knowing that if you hold it, gravity will not overwhelm you. And it takes faith to know that if you live according to the Spirit of God, your sin nature cannot overwhelm you. But you cannot be neutral about holding a hymnal. You either hold the hymnal or you don't. If you don't learn to walk by the Spirit, you're basically giving your sin nature a free reign. That's what I see a lot of Christians doing today. Meaning, you're going to let your sin nature make your decisions for you. This is a command in verse 16. Walk in the Spirit. Why? Because Romans 8 explains this. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. See, as a child of God, you've been given the Spirit of God. So live according to that position in Jesus Christ. And this is also why Paul tells them in verse 18 in the text, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let's be careful. Let's not take verse 18 out of context. Verse 18 is not promising you when it's talking about being led by the Spirit that the Spirit of God is going to tell you who to marry, what job to take, what house to buy, or what coat to put on in the morning. It's not talking about personal guidance. It's here to tell us that if we are led by the Spirit, if we are walking by the Spirit, then we are walking by faith. Christ took care of the penalty of the law for us. And we are free to live according to God's power in us. And if you are living according to the Spirit of God within, you are going to live as God intends. It's just that simple. So there is no need for the Mosaic Law. Because the focus of the Christian life is on the commander, not on the commands. Our focus is on God himself. Amen? Paul is teaching that there's a better way to live, Christian. There is a better way to live. There's a better way to live than the law, and there's a better way to live than giving in to the desires of the sin nature. Suppose I hold up this glass of water, and then I shook it really, really hard, and water spills out, and you ask me, well, why did the water spill out? And the typical answer that you get is, water came out because I shook it. But there's another correct answer, which says water came out because it is water that is inside of the glass. If there had not been water in the glass in the first place, then no water would have ever come out of the glass. Sure, it came out because it was shaken, but the water came out because it had water inside the glass. And so now I would like you to think with me for a second about David's sin in the Old Testament with Bathsheba. If we ask David why he did that, 
If we ask David why he committed murder, if we ask David why he committed adultery, he could say, I did it because I was tempted, because of pressure, I was shaken. He could say he was disturbed by outside influences, things that happened to him. He was weary, that he looked out the window and he saw this beautiful woman and one thing just led to another. He could say he was shaken because that is what we like to say. We like to blame everything on the external forces, stress, being tired, being sick, or thanks to Freud, everything is the fault of our parents and how we were brought up. But David had a different answer. Go home and read Psalm 51 because there he had said, I committed adultery. Why? Because there is adultery in my heart. David said, I covered it up because there's pride in my heart. And he said, I murdered a man because the love of self and the hatred of others is what is in my heart. David said that what he discovered is that evil came out of him. Why? Because there was evil in him. Same is true for you, Christian. Same is true for me. Your sinful desires fight against the spirit. So resist them. But how? By trusting the power of God within us. By walking with him. Letting him live his life through us. And here is a bold prayer. I challenge you to this. Ask God to do whatever it takes in your life to bring you to say with Paul the words of Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Keep your eyes on the Savior. Recognize the deadly power of the sin nature. Know that if you just leave it on its own, if you sit back and leave it on its own, our sinful nature is going to take us away from God. You've been saved for a purpose, Christian, given the talents and the spiritual gifts and the spirit of God within to serve the God who called you out from the world. You cannot be neutral in this battle. You either hold that hymnal or you do not. You either live according to the flesh or you live according to the Spirit of God. So first, the flesh. Paul tells us, starting in verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Another word we could put in there is obvious, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That includes everything. And the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Ever since my young days as a Christian, I have fallen in love with Galatians chapter 5. Because just by reading it, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I can look at it and tell whether my actions and whether my heart reflects that I am living by my sin nature or by the power of the Spirit of God within me. It's evident, Paul says. It's obvious. It's obvious that these things do not represent God living through us. So just to sum it up quick, in verse 19 are the sexual sins. Anything and everything that cheapens the gift from God of sex inside of a marriage. But then notice in verse 19, 
uncleanness. This includes our thoughts, lewdness, the open display of these sins. This is the reason today our TVs and our computers and even our phones are just filled with this sexual trash because it's the sin nature of man. It is the uncontrolled lust of man. Verse 20, it starts with the sins of false religion, and boy, are those ever prevalent today. He says idolatry, sorcery, the spiritual sins, worship of false gods, worship of demons. But then it moves to the sins against one another, and it's not a pretty picture, is it? Read the end of verse 21 again with me. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it has become common to hear that this means that those who practice these things will not enter the kingdom of God, meaning they are unbelievers. But here's the problem with that point of view. The word practice just means do. It just means the word do. Those who do these things. Some of the translations even state it this way. And Christians do these things all the time. Christians are capable of adultery, hatred, being selfish, murder, even drunkenness. Every hour of every day, Christians are committing these sins. We expect it more from unbelievers, to be sure. But remember the teaching from before. All believers will enter the kingdom of God, but not every believer will inherit, which is the wording here, inherit the kingdom of God. Inheritance, the privilege of ruling with Christ, not entrance into the kingdom. Here's the teaching. If you live like an unbeliever, don't expect to rule and reign with the Savior in his kingdom. And when sin is present in the life of another person, all you can say for certain is that sin is present in the life of another person. You can tell that they're not living by the power of the Spirit, but you really don't know what's in their heart, whether there is salvation or not. Christians still battle that same sin nature that we had before redemption. So now when it comes to rewards, I would like you to think of Colossians 3.24 where Paul said this, he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of what? The inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If a believer lives a defeated life by living out the works of the flesh, those same believers will lose their inheritance. They lose their rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Moses, let me put it to you this way. Moses didn't lose out on heaven because he disobeyed the Lord. He lost his inheritance. And you can't have it both ways. You cannot say that salvation is a free gift, but then turn around and say you have to keep good works to keep that salvation or prove that you had it in the first place. It's hard. It's very, very hard to watch defeated Christians. It's hard to watch Christians ignore the riches that they have in Jesus Christ. Because these believers never discover the purpose for their life. They lose out on that closeness that comes from walking with the Lord. It means they lose out on so much. They lose out on the rewards that could be theirs in the kingdom of God. But it does not mean that if a believer sins, if a believer lives in the flesh, that they are somehow excluded from the kingdom of God. This American Life, the radio show and podcast on NPR, they had an episode where they asked people an interesting question. They asked people if they had ever felt like that they were under the bondage to these unwanted thoughts. 
The host of the show said that it was like people had been waiting all of their lives for someone to ask them this question. Listen to just a few of the responses. One woman responded by saying, it's totally out of control. It's got a life of its own and I can't take it anymore. Another woman said that the thoughts in her head plagued her. She said, I actually have a name for the voice. I call it Stan. Stan is the guy who tells me to have an extra glass of wine. One man described it like this. He said, I remember somehow realizing just how finely calibrated the voice was to every nuance, every part of my feelings. You see, person after person after person called in describing these inner thoughts, telling them to give in to their cravings. And at the end of the episode, the host asked someone, he says, do you feel like the voice is winning? And a woman replies, right now, yeah, I think I'm seriously in some trouble, to be honest. But she's not alone, is she? Because a lot of people are in trouble. Christians and non-Christians alike. Anyone not living by the power of the Spirit of God. Because the sin nature is always present. Constantly prompting us to indulge in our sin and live for ourselves. But the redeemed child of God has been called out for a different purpose. Empowered to be free to live for Him. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such what? There's no law. Let me sum up these verses real quick for you by saying this, that the Spirit of God needs no law. The Spirit of God needs no law. Instead of letting the old sin nature plague you with unwanted thoughts, let your life reflect God living in you. Love, the type of love that gives of self, that sacrifices for others. Joy here, even during uncertain times in your life, it comes from abiding in Christ and resting in His sovereign control over your life. Peace, both in your life and in your relationships with others because you've learned to walk in the peace of God. Doesn't Philippians 4, 7 tell us in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, that's that inner calmness of emotions and thoughts, which rests on the assurance that God is too kind and too loving and too wise to make mistakes. Long-suffering Patience. It's the refusal to retaliate even when others provoke you. It permits you to forgive people even when they lie about you, provoke you, hurt you, irritate you. And then he says kindness, goodness, meaning reaching out to others and doing good. Faithfulness, because you believe God. You take Him at His word. Someone who believes the promises of God. Gentleness. Gentleness doesn't mean weakness. I hate it when people describe it like that. It means strength under control. Self-control. Meaning you don't have to be a slave to those temptations, those thoughts to sin. Christian, you don't have to always sin. But did you notice what this is called? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning these are not something you have to work hard for. These are things that come when the Spirit of God lives His life through you. This is the life of Christ lived through you when you walk with Him. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of self-help. Meaning this is the fruit that comes as the believer allows himself to be led by the Spirit of God. 
Let me say it like this. An apple tree does not get up in the morning and exercise and try harder so that it can make apples. It allows the sap to flow and apples are produced. Allow the Spirit of God to govern your life. And this is the fruit of His life lived in you. Notice with me that this fruit is internal, not external. The fruit of the Spirit does not depend on our circumstances, but the fruit of the Spirit shows up in how we deal with others. In other words, let me say this. We wouldn't need patience, and we wouldn't need kindness, and we wouldn't need love, and we wouldn't need gentleness if we could go live in a cabin all by ourselves. Would we? If we lived alone, we wouldn't need any of these things. You see, I believe, Christians, and I want you to hear me on this, that the victorious Christian life is measured right here, right now, in Galatians chapter 5. It's not about the number of people we lead to Jesus Christ. It's not about how big our ministry is. It's not about how big your house is. It's not about how much money you make. It is how much we enjoy the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we have learned to walk with Him. The defeated life is measured by the works of the flesh. The victorious life is measured by how much God's fruit is growing in us. Verses 24 and 25. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Old J. Vernon McGee, he used to tell a story about a lady in the deep south who married her childhood sweetheart. They had a great life together until he was suddenly taken by a heart attack. But she couldn't part with him, so she had him embalmed, put in a chair, sealed up in a glass case, and placed inside the front door of their large plantation home. Now that's just creepy right there. There he sat. Day after day, as she would walk by and acknowledge his presence with a smile and a friendly wave. Well, a year or so later, she decided to take a long trip to Europe. And when she was there, she met a man from the States who was also on vacation. And they got married. And they spent some time in Europe. But she never said anything about old John back on the farm. So when they came back to the States, they headed to her place, and he was planning on being a man, you know, carrying her over the threshold into her home. And he picked her up, and he kind of bumped open the door, and he walked right in, and he almost dropped his bride on the floor. He said, who is this? He wanted to know. And then she had to explain that this was John, her old man from before. But her new husband knew what he had to do. He went outside, he dug a hole, and he buried her old man in it, case and all. But this story, it describes the way a lot of believers treat their sin nature, doesn't it? They want to hold on to it and cater to it every day of their lives, even though God sees it as dead. Because why? We have a new life. We have a new love. We have a new relationship. And we have a new future in Jesus Christ, which means there should be a change in how we live. Verse 24 is all about our position in Christ, telling us when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God crucifies the old man with Christ. God crucifies that sinful state we had in Adam and makes us this new creation in Christ. Such a beautiful miracle, isn't it? When we came to faith in Christ, we identified with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But this sin nature, this desire to sin, it's still within us for now. But it no longer has the power over us. 
You see, verse 24 is just a roundabout way of saying this. Paul believes every believer in Jesus Christ is able to escape the passions and the desires of the flesh. That is the birthright of every Christian. Paul said in Romans 6, he said, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The old man is dead, crucified in Christ. In position, verse 24 in Galatians, our flesh has been crucified with Christ, but our conditions means we don't always live like we should. We still carry around that sin nature, but it belongs to our past, not to our future. Because the day is coming when our new husband, Jesus Christ, is going to take that sin nature away once and for all. When he is going to take away that desire to sin that is within us. But even now, hear me, the only power our sin nature has over us is the power that we give it. Do you hear that? The only power it has over us is the power that we give it. The sin nature only has power over us if we fail to live by this power of the Spirit of God within us. And so Paul adds the words of verse 25. He says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is a first class condition in the Greek, meaning this. It's assumed that something is true. So Paul is saying, since we live in the Spirit, think that word since there. Since we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God has made us alive, we should follow after Him. And if we belong to Christ, then John 16 tells us we were convicted of our sins by who? By the Spirit of God. John 3 teaches us we were regenerated by Him, sanctified by Him. 2 Thessalonians 2, sealed by the Spirit, Ephesians 1, and indwelt by the Spirit. Since our position identifies us with Christ, since our position means God the Spirit lives in us, we should also submit to that same Spirit, keeping in step with Him. The Holy Spirit walks us through life, and all we have to do is just keep in step with Him. Just walk with the Spirit, who is very much alive in every one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ for redemption. Follow the Spirit of God when He prompts you to live for Christ. Follow him when he prompts you to live in love. Know that he is there to strengthen you in your battle against sin. Follow him as he shines his light upon the written word of God to us, teaching us his truth, teaching us to walk in his grace. It was October of 1871 when that great Chicago fire destroyed much of the city of Chicago. Now the flames of this massive fire started on the other side of the river. So it kind of leaves you to wonder how it actually crossed the river. Well, winds were a part of the problem that they had. Wooden ships in the river didn't help things at all. But there was another reason. Back then, the Chicago River wasn't what you see today. In those days, the Chicago River was a shallow, sluggish sewer for the entire city. The Union stockyards, they would just simply dump all their animal waste right into the river. People had a name for it. They referred to it as the Stinking River. It was so bad that the waste in the river was combustible. It could easily start on fire. And all of this waste flowed directly into Lake Michigan, right where the city was getting its water. 
Well, of course, disease broke out. That's not too hard to figure out. And every year, every single year through the 1880s and the 1890s, at least 10,000 people would die each year from cholera and typhoid fever. In 1885, 14 years after the Chicago fire, almost 100,000 people died just from the disease carried by this river. Well, finally, the city engineers took action. And first they started digging 28 miles of canal. They moved more earth and more rocks than were moved during the building of the Panama Canal. Then on January 2nd of 1900, a worker opened up a gate at Lake Michigan and water from the Great Lakes flowed into the Chicago River, pushing it in a direction that it had never, ever flowed before. What did they do? They reversed the flow of the Chicago River. It now flowed in the opposite direction, into the canal, into this Plains River, into the Illinois River, and then down into the Mississippi River. This brought in a huge, huge flow of fresh water because instead of a shallow, sluggish river with disease that brought death, the river now brought life, life to the people of Chicago. And I'm going to tell you that God has done something even more incredible in our lives. Because for the redeemed in Christ, he reverses the flow of the human soul. Instead of the shallow and self-centered waters of sin, Jesus has opened the gates of new and living water into our lives. Because we know what it looks like if we live our life without God. It's obvious, Paul says in verse 19. It's the stink of adultery. It's the hatred, the wrath, the selfish ambitions of man. But when he reverses that flow, what happens? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So how do we tap in? How do we get this type of life flowing out of us instead of the garbage of the sin nature? Didn't Paul tell us two times? Sure he did. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's right there in the text. So what does this mean? How do we walk in the Spirit? Let me give you a key passage and then I'll tell you what this looks like. Romans 6 teaches us, likewise, you also reckon yourselves, do you hear this? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. See, it starts with Christians caring, first of all, about the Word of God. Second of all, understanding what God has done for us. It starts with reckoning in your own life that sin cannot be overcome on your own. You can't do it. You don't have the ability. You'll fail. See, God did not design us to overcome sin in our fallen state on our own. But when you understand that God has given us the power, God has given us the ability through him living in us to overcome sin, we no longer have to listen to those temptations to sin because the person we were before Christ has died. We are new creations in Christ. We have exchanged a life that lived for self for a life that now should center on Jesus Christ. And so we restrain the sinful desires by relying on the words of Christ the example of Christ, and the love of Christ. 
We live by the Spirit because we've been joined with Christ in His death and risen to a new life in Him. We have the Spirit of God living in us. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God flowing through us to live each day as He produces His fruit. So keep in step with Him. Follow Him as He directs you to live for Jesus Christ. Be led by the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of Christ. And this is why Paul said, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, what? The things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of God. Show His love. Receive His joy. And show the world the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The Spirit helps us when we pray. He inspires us to worship. He shapes our character. He strengthens us. He teaches us. He guides us. So let Him guide you to a path that honors our Savior, Jesus Christ, because this, this is a life worth living. Amen. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.